Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Frank Olinsky. Anyway, they wanted somebody to do a logo. All I knew was that it had to do with music and television. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent Giants, y'all. This week's Silent Giant is Brooklyn artist, graphic designer, illustrator, art director, Frank Olinsky, the man who created that iconic MTV logo. Frank stopped by the podcast to chat about his early life, attending Pratt Institute back in the late 1960s, breaking into the industry as a graphic designer, creating album covers for some of the biggest rock acts in the 90s, being neighbors with Jean-Michel Basquiat, and, uh, oh yeah, the makings of that famous MTV logo, and a whole lot more. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the art director, illustrator, graphic designer, my friend, the silent giant, Frank Olinsky. One, two, one, two. Do I just um, test in the microphone? There we go. (laughs) What's going on, Frank? Um, As you know... um, most of my work up to a certain point was connected with the music industry yeah, and packaging. And, you know, the, obviously that you know what's going on with the music world. How's your day going? My day? Yeah. Pretty good. I don't have anything special, but it was just a good day. I, I went to my yoga class. Okay, that's special. Yeah, because I have a lot of resistance in going. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, because I'd rather not get up <laughs> well, it was beautiful today yeah so that's always like i was yeah and my girlfriend was encouraging <laughs> aka she kicked your ass out of the yeah, house yeah <laughs> and then stop being nervous about the interview and i'm like oh okay oh don't be nervous well i know no this is gonna be a lot of fun this is okay. gonna be a lot of fun yeah think about this there are those times at a party when people like you wish people will come speak to you Right? Like you could be the guy in the corner and you're like, man, I wish people would come speak. Right now, you're the popular guy at the party. Oh. People, I want, I, I seek your, uh, your, your presence for I'm an interview. F- I'm flattered. <laughs> well, I'm, fl- I'm, I'm flattered to have you here. Yeah. So, Frank, where are you from, man? 
Okay, I was born in New York City, Manhattan. What part? Oh, I don't know. In Manhattan. So oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and my parents moved out to Long Island. Okay. Um, suburbia, that suburbia thing. Yeah. And so I grew up on Long Island. Uh, where in Long Island? Huntington. What is Huntington like? Oh, it's kind of like that TV show. Uh, oh, God, I can't think of it. Fred Savage was in it. Oh, uh, one the Wonder Years, the Wonder Years. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah. my childhood was like. Okay, you know, I think that was actually based in Long Island, New York. Well, I don't know that it was or it wasn't, but the, just the vibe. Because well, he he also wore the New York Jets jacket. Well, I don't remember. So I, I think that was actually based in New York in yeah. Long Island. Well, I think so too. Suburbia. <laughs> anyway, so uh, my father was freelance. Uh, they used to call him commercial artists. Okay. You know, it was, but later became like designers. That's the lingo. But he got a job and he moved out to suburbia with my mom and me. Are you Polish? No, it's Russian. Russian. Okay. Yeah, if okay. it was an I at the oh, end. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, so uh, I grew up in suburbia and then uh, I ended up coming back to New York to go to school. Okay. So I, I went to Pratt Institute. In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. And I've been in Brooklyn since, well, I graduated high school 68, so I guess around 60. Anyway, but it's ironic. <laughs> it was a long time. And it, anyway, it's ironic that I've been in New York and then I was in Brooklyn, but, you know, so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's a, it totally does. What was it like going to Pratt? Oh, well, those were kind of the funky years over there. Um, it was semi, I don't know if you know that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I live, be, it, I used live in Bedside. It used to be dangerous. Oh, yeah, up until like when I moved. <laughs> right. When it, you know, then I, I went to, uh, I lived on a dorm and then a couple of different apartments. I never had gotten mugged or anything, but that was kind of punk years and, you know, kippy punks mix. You mentioned that your father was a yeah. designer? Yeah, my father used to, we lived in a split level house. And then downstairs, he had a desk. It, it was kind of like the way things came later when there was computers. Okay. But he had this desk and he worked in, he did animation cells. You know, okay. Like, yeah. You know? And I learned how to do stuff that you didn't learn in high school, junior high school, if you were just a regular person. My dad taught me how to do stuff. Okay. So I, you know, I, and I would get special papers and things like that and bring, bring it to class. And I felt like he was my teacher more than any of the other teachers. Did you, did you fall in love with, with art and design early on? Yes. yes. And did you know that that was, that's what you wanted to pursue as a career? Did you have any type of aspiration no, to be a... No, it's an ironic thing. Um, the, I took courses in everything like filmmaking. Anyway, the two things that I ended up doing were the only two things I didn't study. Mm. So like I didn't study design. They used to call it communication arts. Okay. Okay. I didn't study that. And then there was something else. Oh, and I didn't study education because I teach. Okay. So it's kind of ironic the things that I went to school for. I learned a lot of stuff but I didn't go into that professionally. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was just ongoing karmic circumstances. Did you know that you had a natural talent 
for design? I had talent, natural talent for making images. Mm. You know, when I was a young kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known what the word design meant. I was also always interested in music. And one thing I did was this. Tell me about that. Like, what was the music you were into as a kid? Um, whatever. Well, at that time, when I was a kid, it was just whatever was on the radio. Which is like and what, I the would Beatles? Sleep, and... I would sleep with a transistor radio under my pillow. Oh, wow. You know what? I, I do that now with a podcast. Oh, well, no, this is. <laughs> yeah. We got something in common there. Yeah. So um, one thing that I did was I did a series of, mu- of I guess you could call them assemblage or collages of musicians, but their bodies were just these long wooden pieces. Okay. And then I would put a head on them or kind of make a three-dimensional piece. And I did a John and Yoko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I painted them white and I made little wireframe glasses. And I did a Jim Morrison where it was a fake leather covering with a zipper <laughs> That's dope. So, because of that was the thing that he supposedly did when he was in a concert, like yeah, yeah, yeah. mooned it. anyway, and a little microphone. So there was and who else? Pete Townsend. Oh, the who? Yeah. They yeah. were all they were all kind of, I don't know what word, they're a little hard to describe, but those were things that I really liked. Um I went on to do more drawings and paintings. I love doing watercolors. Like, um, I can't imagine when I look back on them now that I did those. They were so good, I even would say it. Like, if I was my <laughs> student, I would give them a name. <laughs> and how old were you when you were using watercolors? When I, when I, that would have been more like my college years. Okay, okay. So, And did you enjoy your, your time at Pratt? Oh, I did. It was very different than suburbia. Of course, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little, a little and, more dangerous. And I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but two of the people who were going, living in that area, when I was there, were Patty Smith and Robert Mapplethorpe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there was kind of a vibe. I, I you know, I, I never, I never met uh, Robert Mapplethorpe, but I met Patty Smith. And so now uh, you leave Pratt, and what's like the next step in your career? What, what did you well, want to do professionally? Doing my best to get out of the draft. Because mm, this is during the Vietnam era. When I was there, I was still at school. So that, that's where my years might have been a little inaccurate. Okay. But um, the only reason I got out was they ended the war. They, my number was up. Well, you know what's crazy, too? I, I was watching a, a doc on uh, Bobby Kennedy on Netflix. Uh-huh. And so... Thinking about the year of 1968, it's also the year you're that going to college. The, yeah. This is a pivotal time in American yes, history, musical history, cultural history. Yes, it's a very special time. It's and, hard to explain it to people that are younger, um, you know, not because, I mean, people now, as screwed up as things are, there is no draft. Right. People got drafted and went to Vietnam and got killed. And... The only reason that I, you know, part of me was like, I'm going to Canada. And another part was, fortunately, they ended the war. So. And so what was your first job? Like out of school? Uh, my first job. Well, it may not have been my first one, but it was a kind of a poignant early one. I had a friend that I knew since I was five. We were five years old in Huntington. And he's 
become like a big media guy. So he, he was doing some design work and we were, he was taking some stuff to the printer. Fred says, uh, uh, Bernie, the, the guy from the printer said to Fred, I need a designer to do paste up some mechanicals. Do you know anybody that could do that? You know, do you know anybody? He almost physically pushed me out and said, this is your guy. Now, I don't know how much you know about that kind of production stuff, but this is BC before computers. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't do things the way they did up until a few years ago. You had to cut stuff out with X-Acto knives. You uh, would get text on a um, type, typewritten paper. And then you would have to, as a designer, you would have to decide, oh, do I make this 10 point or 12 point? Okay. Okay. And stuff like that. Or, you know, so I learned how to do all that stuff on the job. Wow. And it was crazy. I mean, I'm really thankful that I have that understanding. But so I guess that's my first job. And then I ended up getting some freelance work. And then as things moved on, you know, my education my hands-on education. Because from that, because well, where were you living in New York at this time? I was living in Brooklyn. Where, where about in Brooklyn? I was living in several different places, but one that comes to the top of my head was St. James Place. Oh yeah, that's where Biggie. That's where Biggie's from. Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Well. Well, what uh, what was your address in St. James? Do you remember? No, but it was on a corner where there was kind of like a it was a block away from Fulton. It was near the entrance to the school. So, yeah, because that, that was um, uh, the Tories B.I.G.'s like famous street Oh, where he grew up. He grew up on 226 St. James. Oh, well, I don't remember. I yeah. think mine was like just like a single digit, but yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, it was it was hood back then. Well, I lived there for a while. <laughs> you weren't scared? I think I was too much of a hippie to be scared. <laughs> Maybe I should have been, but I was never mugged or anything like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I also lived in, um, there was another apartment, I can't think of the name right now, but there were two or three. Wow. And I, lived, and I also lived in the dorms at one point, and they were like 16, 17 stories. Yeah. Crazy. I did not like that. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> and so how did the opportunity for you to, um, to get an MTV? Like how'd that even... Okay, you want to know the MTV story? how that even happen? Well, as I mentioned, I had this friend named Fred who through the years has just somehow hooked in with things that became big. Like he was one of the people who started Nickelodeon. Oh, wow. He's got animation studios called Frederator. Wow. And really awesome stuff. You know, we call uh, Fred today. We call Fred the plug. You know him? No, no, no. I don't know him, but. His name is Fred Seibert. What all the kids are saying is that man's the plug. He's the connection to everything. Well, anyway, so uh, I had a studio with two other people. We barely made made a living and uh fred one day says to me that there's this company warner amex it's warner brothers and american express and somebody got this idea of doing television with music you know like rock music um they didn't have a, a name or anything and there weren't that many videos i mean there was no need for anything anyway they wanted somebody to do a logo so what happened was um, Warner Amex hired like some of the top expensive designers. And my friend Fred said, hey, there are these young kids, that's what he called it, that I think it would be a good idea to give them a shot at it as well. So um, all I knew was that it had to do with music and you know, in music and television, basically. And so I started, oh, the, the, the big shots, the designs they did didn't make the company happy. They were a little too straight. You know, they weren't for young people. Right, right, right. So we all worked on it. And then, but there's a few things that I totally was responsible for. I don't want to be claiming stuff that I did or... People have told me I've underplayed my value. Anyway, so one of the things was my one partner named Pat did this big M, just big M. And then I thought, huh, that's kind of cool. And then I came up with the Superman idea, that three-dimensional thing. And, you know, and then there were other things. One of them was uh, a Mickey Mouse-like hand that was holding a three-dimensional note. And when it would, when he would, the note could be squeaked. Mm. There yeah, was yeah. no M. It was just that. That was another idea that didn't go anywhere. But, so one of the interesting parts, we'll move it along, was we had this big M. And what do, what do we, how do you do music and television? And then we got the idea of, a T and a V, but how do we match those with the S? I mean, yeah, uh, the um, M. So I don't know where this came from, but I got this idea of defacing a television set. 
And what I mean by that is right where my studio was, there was a lot going on with graffiti and um, also uh, hip hop. All these things were kind of starting down in the village area. And I got this idea of, got a physical M, big M, and then I got a can of spray paint and did a a T and a V with drips and everything. And uh, the idea was that this generation of um, punks and hip hop people and whatnot, they, they were kind of going against straight television. So that's what this, I don't know if that's making any sense. Yeah, that. totally. So that was that. But then, um, and I'll tell you a little bit of the, the defacing thing came from. Back in the 50s or the 60s, there was this TV show called Winky Dink. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first animated things. And the character, what they did was they would make a scene, like let's say uh, someone had to cross from one side of something to another. The people at home would draw in the bridge on their... TV set. So you were part of the process. And is that making any sense? Totally. 100%. And, and what they would do is they'd sell kids these clear plastic pieces of plastic okay. to put on the TV set. But as kids will do is they don't want to bother with putting the plastic up. So a lot of people's TVs got messed up because their kids drew all over them. <laughs> That's the spirit of the MTV thing. It was, um, you know, the music was doing the same thing. It was challenging the, what was going on. So, so in, in turn, you did you name the network based off of this logo? MTV? No, right. music television, they had that. But MTV was because of the way the logo looked. Somebody came up with that. But do you think that and, idea came from, from maybe you? Because I don't remember, uh, could be, but it could also be just like when somebody saw it, they just started saying it, but could be. But one thing I know that I'm responsible for, and actually I think this is the most radical thing. More than what the logo looked like was the fact that it was designed when most logos, people want a corporate color scheme they have, you know, when you're doing a logo that's got to be recognizable, it's always got to be the same colors and all that. Right. This was like the version of that with a logo, which was we wanted people to do whatever they wanted to do to the logo. Mm. So you want to draw on the thing. You want to make a one thing we made was a birthday cake. So we made a birthday cake that was looking like an MTV, but it was laying over. Mm -hmm. So some of the permutations weren't the Superman version, but the, there was this idea like we knew animators were going to animate it. That was a big thing. And the idea was, okay, here's this. These are the pieces for this. Now do something, whatever you feel inspired to do. So they looked enough like the MTV logo that it was recognizable, but it was a lot of leeway. Okay. And that idea of there's no corporate colors, there's no animals that look like uh, the MTV logo, 
But that idea is still existing now because, for example, Google. Oh, Google yeah. Yeah, totally. Is the grand person or the... The grandchild of, grandchild of, of MTV, MTV logo. There would be no Google without that. I mean, wow. No, and there was another one that I'm trying to think of. Um, not as big, big a deal as Google, but there was something else that... You know, there were two or three, like, lower down the food chain ideas of it always changes. Wow. So maybe, maybe Pepsi, Pepsi's always changed their logo. Yeah. I, I don't think it was as big a, a company as that. Okay. But the MTV and the Google. And how much time did you have to complete the uh, assignment? I don't know. Did it feel like it was quick? Well, it, it did feel like it was pretty quick. But what was one of the things was we never got to, be at the meetings with the corporate guys because we were kind of like these young like uh, punk Brooklyn kids yeah it's whatever <laughs> and you know so uh, apparently from my friend Fred who went there the thing went in the garbage several times and then got pulled out the design oh really it was rejected but then somebody else decided it's not rejected and how did you find out that that was going to be the logo for the network? Uh, probably just Fred told us. And the thing about that was that gave us work for, they, they, MTV didn't have an art department. So we would do everything up for a while, and except for like animation and things. Okay. And um, so. Like, were, were you excited? Oh, yeah. But one of the things, one of the byproducts of this was that got us a lot of music, or me and my partners, a lot of bands. Yeah, did. Wanted to get the people that did that <laughs> logo and work for us. And so that, in turn, I got to meet some amazing people and work with them. And did you, do you remember uh, seeing the uh, logo for the first time? Oh, wait, on, oh, on, on, on air? Well, one of the ironic things was it wasn't available in New York for because of the, whatever the cable, it wasn't on cable. They, they needed, it didn't, how can I say this? It didn't, it wasn't put up in New York right, first. Cause, right, because it was, I think they had to have the I Want MTV campaign. I Want My MTV yeah, campaign yeah, yeah. across the country for yeah. to get to certain places. But also... I don't remember because um, I didn't get cable, but uh, we got to see stuff on, you know, tapes and whatnot. So now I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So like now it's become this iconic symbol of music and in the eighties and like, how, how does it feel? I see it on t-shirts all the time. Like how does it feel to see something that you worked on and well, you're a part of, Part of this, and here's kind of a, I don't know, negative thing, but this is part of it. We got paid basically nothing. It's like the old blues musician story. We got to some work for them and work out of it. But in other words, we didn't get a... Even like a royalty or... No. One. Wow. Is that something that you, at the time, you think you could have prevented? Well, I'm not so sure. It's like... It probably legally was a work for hire. Right, right. But 
That in that case, you get you get some money. You just don't get royalties because they work for hire. Anyway, it's all kind of a blur. Because like, let's say for instance, if you were um, today in your life, and I start up the Corey Cambridge Network, uh, and I wanted Frank to do the logo. Yeah. Like, what business wise, like logistically, what would you have in place to protect, well, protect yourself? I mean, what would I what would I ask for? Well, like. For like, maybe not. Maybe ask for on a financial oh, end, what I would but do legally is, or like, oh yeah, no, I don't keep any of the rights. Pretty much, no, okay. I don't get that much, and also things have changed a lot. And I, you know, in general, uh, you know, with the internet and everything else, everybody thinks they're a designer, mm. and everybody thinks they're a musician, or especially everybody thinks they're a photographer. Mm. And, or a podcaster. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> or a well, journalist. People do, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that is, a, you know, a big change. I was thinking when I was a kid and all there was was for music was, uh, you know, records, LPs. And like I can remember people would be so hungry for those because they were the only photographs of the band was you very often just what was there. So you you fell in love with the Rolling Stones and you wanted, you know, you never got anything else but that cardboard with a couple of pictures of the Rolling Stones. But I never I never thought about that. That when you got the picture of the band. That's why you got excited when new Jimi Hendrix was coming out. The music, yeah, but then whoa. Mm, wow, I never thought about that. And you know, and also the role of the musician changed. They didn't want to be, they wanted their privacy in a lot of cases. Right. Now it's kind of the opposite of that. You know, at first when MTV came out, one of the complaints was there were no black musicians on there. Right. There was this whole culture coming up with the hip hop and everything. And eventually they connected with that. It took a while for MTV to get on that, you know. Thanks to like Prince and Michael Jackson. But yeah, but even a little earlier, some some of the little hip hop got in there, but not. See, when I had my studio, I just look out the window, and there were people like in the park with the boom boxes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, you know, the inspiration. That was part of it. The lifestyle, that the culture, was part of it, and it's simultaneously or a little bit different was what was going on with the punk culture with mostly white people. Yeah. So those two kind of things went into Blender, you know, and then later they got into disco and everything else. Is, you know. Cause you were, you were also doing album covers as well. Yeah. Yeah. It works. Well, that's so what would happen. For example, um, I was doing some work for Natalie Merchant. Okay. Yeah. 2000 Maniacs. Yeah. And she was good friends with um, Michael Stipe. Who's Michael Stein? R.E.M. Oh, wow. So she recommended me to Michael, and then we did some work for Michael. So stuff like that happened. Who were some of your inspirations as a designer, you know, that inspired your work? Musicians? Musicians or, or other designers? Uh, gosh. Well, there's one. That's David Byrne. Yeah. I did a whole book on Talking Heads, and I got all these people to illustrate you know, everybody from Jean-Michel Basquiat to uh, 
Oh, you name it. You knew Jean-Michel Basquiat? He lived across the street from me when I was living on uh, in Brooklyn. What? He still lived with his parents. What, what, and then, what, what was then it he like? went down on the street and he did those black paper things with the white paint. Yeah. What, what, what was it I, like? I just casually knew him. He wasn't a superstar then. He was just Jean-Michel who lived across the street. He was like 16 or whatever. Wow. And, and what's your life like now? My life? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty quiet. I teach part-time at um, the new school at Parsons. Okay. Well, what are you and teaching? I teach at this point, this class, two classes. One is a 3D, um, how to do things in three dimensions. Okay. Illustration, three dimensions. Another one, which I really like is called uh, language and letter form and it's about images made out of words whether it's a poem or uh, anything that has to do with words or and students have to write also wow okay so it's kind of a mix but uh, yeah I don't know it's just it's very quiet uh, I sometimes beat myself up for not going at the rate that I used to go in when I was in my 20s, and, you know. Hey, man, like, relax, bro. <laughs> and then it's like, dude, you did that already, you know? Yeah, I mean, but, and you also did it very well. Well, well. well, it's like I just got, there's a guy who contacted me who, uh, one of the things that's happening is they're doing special additional vinyl. is a huge thing now. Right, yeah, huge. And someone contacted me because they were doing a, a, a version of a vinyl of something and they, there was one of the musicians who I've worked with and I, one of my favorite musicians. And this guy from the record company contacted me and said, well, would you be interested in working on this? And it was like going into the Wayback Machine, you know, like, whoa, that was like in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Part of that I really like. Part of it, it's, uh, you know, the, the logistics of it is a pain in the ass sometimes because a lot of the imagery is gone. You know, no one has any high-res images. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. kind of, it's a little too much the technical part. But uh, they, you know, there was a band, I don't know if you ever heard of them, Luna? No. No, oh, they were a really amazing band. Yeah, because I, I also, too, I want to imagine that, you know, do you ever get the feeling of walking around and when you see that logo, that MTV logo, something that iconic, that's that that recognizable, it's on the level of McDonald's, um, maybe the cross, you know, uh -huh. as far as recognizability. Yeah. You know, well, I, or like the uh, CBS I. Yeah, so the CBS I. Like, something like that. And I think, honestly, MTV is more recognizable than that. Um, well, I do have a, a story connected with that. Sure. Um, I went to India. So I mentioned that I was interested in Eastern spirituality. I went to India, and while I was there, I got to meet the Dalai Lama. And uh, we, we were a group of about 10 or 12 people. And there, one night, I was staying in a hotel, and they had uh, cable TV on. And I was watching it. I'm sitting in a room in, uh, I don't think it was Dharamsala. And 
I'm watching a Nirvana video with a couple of Tibetan monks and they get, they got MTV. And I thought that's hysterical. Nirvana (laughs) is on MTV and I'm sitting here with a couple of monks, you know, and I'm like, talk about wacky, you know, every once in a while, something like that happens. And the one thing that, I don't know if you know, they, they cut the bottom off of the MTV logo. No way with the music television part. Yeah. They cut it down even more. I, it's it, it happened. They were realizing that it wasn't really music, primarily. You know, they do the video awards. Right, right, right. Anyway, someone contacted me. See, I don't, I don't watch MTV. I don't have cable. I don't anyway, um, someone contacted me. I think it was from the Daily News or Post, and they wanted to know what I thought about the new MTV logo. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I saw it and it was like, if it's the lead logo they use now. Right. So so someone in the company did that. And when they said, what do you think about it? And I said, they castrated it. <laughs> That's all I can say. That's my first impression. Wow. But what is the feeling like when you see that, that logo around? Do you feel happy? Yeah. I mean, I saw how you responded. Yeah. I also, like, if I go someplace, I was out in, uh, was it, I was in Woodstock, and uh, I went to um, have dinner with some friends, and then there was a woman who was working there, and I don't know how it came up in the conversation, but someone said, that guy's the guy that designed the MTV logo, and she, like, went completely like, no, you're kidding. And I'm like, no. So <laughs> something like that happens. It's like, you know, how could I not be flattered? Yeah, because I mean, I, I, you know, one well, thing for me that why I have this show is to highlight people that do amazing things. I mean, this is one of the most recognizable, iconic things. Yeah, I wish I could think of the other thing besides Google. That's all right. Yeah, but I mean, that's pretty good company. Well, you know what? Also, the guy who is, talk about karma, the guy who is in charge of, they call them the Google team that does the images. Yeah. He was a student of mine. Get out. So he, he didn't, that, he was a student of mine before the Google thing. Well, was that at new school? Yeah. Get out. And he was one of, you know, one thing I, I've been teaching a long time. One thing I know is if I have a student who's exceptional, that sometimes they don't even know it, but I can kind of tell when somebody's going to be something like, you know, well, that Ryan was the person who got hired by Google. And so he still does that. Wow. He's in charge of like the whole global thing. They fly him all over the world. And it's, it's almost like uh, in the NBA, yeah. in basketball, you have coaching trees where there was like one coach who coached another I'm, coach. I am actually more excited or proud of my students when they do something than myself. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I mean it. I really mean it. And, and 
once in a, a couple of times, Ryan has come to my class. He lives in California. But I said, you see where Ryan's sitting right now? That He was sitting there. And it could be you the next time. There was another student of mine. I, I don't know if you know about these. They were pretty big. They're called ugly dolls. No. Uh, they were, there was another student who, it was an exceptional thing. They're, they're characters and they're made like into plushies and they did animation and all this stuff. Like, I want to come sit in your class. <laughs> well, it's Maybe you can rub funny. off on me. It's funny because I, I miss doing the basic stuff where um, it's more like put something up on the wall and we talk about it and this and that. And the 3D thing is a little more complicated, but I can't, can't complain. Uh, also, too, what would your dad say? Oh, I never thought of that. I think he would have been happy. Because was he really proud of your work? Well, my father died when I was young. Oh, wow. I was wow. 13. Wow. That was tough. You know, it was tough on mom. And then I have a younger sister. Wow. So one of the other things was he had this thinking of this. In our basement, we had a model train set with all the little, you know those? Yeah, of course. Yeah, with the switches and everything. He was a fanatic. Wow. Yeah, I would imagine your dad would be extremely proud yeah. Uh, of, yeah. of the work well, you made. Frank, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're uh, a great guy. Oh, I actually got less tense. <laughs> No, it's not. You did a great job. It's an amazing interview. Thank you so much, man. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at NBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time.